Africa rise and shine Africa zola Africa amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective and we're coming to you live in Johannesburg, South Africa. We are on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Jolani Tulo, Amanda Machaka and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories, the president of South Africa's ruling African National Congress calls for unity between ANC factions. A Belgian government at risk of collapse over Sudan migrant scandal. And Zimbabwe's president, Emerson Nagagwa, has reached out to the opposition. In economics news, two big investors in Apple have asked the U.S. technology giant to develop software to limit how long children can use its smartphones. And in your sports news, the International Olympic Committee extends North Korea's deadline for Pyeongchang Games. But first up, the news with Jalani Tulo. Thank you, Lulu. Good morning. One person has been killed and at least five others wounded as protests continue over rising prices and tax increases across Tunisia. Protesters clashed with security forces in a town near the capital, Tunis. The BBC's Charles Haviland has more. Grainy video circulating online shows a man on the ground and apparently dead. He's the first fatality in this growing wave of protests against price and tax hikes, which came into effect on the 1st of January. The demonstrations have now spread to at least 10 towns. One is Sidi Bouzid, the site of the very first clashes seven years ago of what came to be known as the Arab Spring. Activists are trying to coordinate the latest protests, calling their campaign, What Are We Waiting For? Police in Sudan have fired tear gas as students who are protesting against a recent doubling of the price of bread. They blocked hundreds of students from entering the camp- from leaving the campus of the University of Khartoum. This is the fourth day of protests against the government's decision to remove subsidies. The price increases are part of the government's response to IMF recommendations on how to improve the ailing economy. South Africa's Parliament Subcommittee on Review of Rules is set to convene this week to deliberate on a draft procedure for the removal of a sitting president. This follows the Constitutional Court judgment in December that Parliament had failed to put in place proper rules on a procedure for Section 89 of the Constitution. In compliance with the judgment, the subcommittee will start its work on Wednesday. Parliamentary spokesperson Moloto Motabo says members of Parliament have been furnished with impeachment proceedings of seven other parliaments as well as a draft procedure drawn up in 2016. That particular draft uh, document of the votes of the Assembly and other documents will then be the basis of the discussion and the committee work when the members meet on those days. Meanwhile, the Omkonto West Military Veterans Association President Kebi Mapatwe says the ruling ANC will exhaust all avenues to prevent a reoccurrence of recalling a president of the country. He lambasted those calling for President Jacob Zuma to be recalled. Mapatwe has described as a mistake the recall of former President Tabombeki in 2008. 
it's not only us who are talking about the unity of the African National Congress. It's even even people outside there that at least the outcome of the conference it is not what we expected. We expected that the, the ANC will come out there divided, bleeding. We disappointed them. The delegates disappointed them. Even myself, I was disappointed because the slate that I supported did not emerge. But I accepted the outcome of the conference. And that is why I was saying we accept the outcome of the conference and will rally behind the leadership of the ANC. And finally, there's been outrage in Tanzania after five schoolgirls were arrested as part of a campaign to end students' pregnancies. The teenage pregnancy rate is particularly high in southern Tanzania, where the girls were detained. Caroline Dorsey of the Global Girls Initiative says the whole incident sends a, sw- a wrong message. The teenage pregnancies are because of poverty, because some of them are even because of rape. So how are we giving out this this announcement and these restrictions and how are we saying that as tanzania we're championing for global goals and saying we're leaving no one behind we have more than eight thousand girls dropping out every year because of teenage pregnancies i don't think that taking them to the police or telling them that you can't go back to school is the solution honestly for channel africa i'm chalani tulo Thank you, Jalani. It is 8.05 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. President of South Africa's ruling African National Congress, Cyril Ramaphosa, has directed two factions in Natal to set aside their differences and work together for the sake of unity in the organization. Ramaphosa was speaking at the grave sites of both the late ANC president Dr. John Langalibalele Dube at Ohlange outside Durban and of Inkosi Albert Lutuli at Krudville north of Durban. Ramaphosa referred to Saturday's incident where party provincial chairperson Sihlezi Kalala and his rival Senzum Kunu shook hands as a step towards restoring unity in Natal. Vusi Makosini has more. The ANC's top officials wrapped up its activities in Natal by paying homage and laying wreath on the graves of former ANC presidents buried in the province. These include Dr. John Langalbalele Chief Albert Tuli, and Josiah Kumete. Delivering his speech in both Dr. Tube's gravesite and Chief Albert Tuli's gravesite, Ramaphosa said unity is non-negotiable and every member must toe the line and work for unity. Comrades! We cannot afford to have a divided ANC here in KZN. It weakens the entire African National Congress. It weakens us. We will go to the uh, the 2019 elections limping if we are not united. In order for the African National Congress to win the 2019 elections decisively, It requires that here in KZN we should be united. Without unity here, we are weakened. To the leadership of our people here in KZN is that unity is not a choice. Unity is a must. And in forging unity, comrades, compromises have to be made. 
sacrifices have to be made. The ANC president also emphasized the importance of developing a prosperous country envisaged by the late ANC leaders. According to Ramaphosa, the ruling party has enormous task of improving socio-economic lives of South Africans. We are also here, comrades, to celebrate the promise that our first president made to the people of South Africa. And the promise that he made was that we want to create a South Africa that is non-racial, non-sexist, that is just and democratic, and a South Africa that is prosperous. This president, John Langalibalele Dube, is a South Africa that we are in the process of developing. You laid important foundation stones and we are proceeding to go ahead to fulfill that promise. Ramaphosa also heard the late chief Tuli of having been one of the leaders who believed in women leaders. According to Ramaphosa, it was at the time when Lutul was at the helm of the organization that women found themselves playing a pivotal role in the ANC. I want to particularly remember Inkokelie to Chief Albert Lutuli and his heritage to our movement around attributes that stand out. Attributes that I believe we should always keep in mind as leaders of our movement, the African National Congress. He was an enormously courageous person. His commitment to unity and how he championed the rights of women. The ANC's top leadership now heads to East London in the Eastern Cape for the January 8th statement and the celebration of 106 years since the ANC was formed. For SABC, I am Vusi Makosini, Devon. The Umkonto Esizwe Military Veterans Association in South Africa has thrown its full weight behind the new ANC leader as elected at the governing party's 54th Congress last month. MKMVA had publicly declared its support for former AU Commission Chairperson Dr. Nkosazana Tlamini Zuma on a ticket that the party is ready for a female leader. However, Deputy Party President at the time, Cyril Ramaphosa, emerged victorious. Two factions created by contestation prior to the conference are each represented by three members in the top six of the ANC. Senior political journalist Amos Pajo has more. MKMVA President KB Mapato says the collective should work towards uniting the party. It's not only us who are talking about the unity of the African National Congress. It's even, even people outside there that at least the outcome of the conference it is not what we expected. We expected the, the ANC will come out there divided, bleeding. We disappointed them. The delegates disappointed them. Even myself, I was disappointed because the slate that I supported did not emerge. But I accepted the outcome of the conference. And that is why I was saying we accept the outcome of the conference and will rally behind the leadership of the ANC. The MKMVA has vowed to reject any attempts to force President Jacob Zuma to resign as head of state before the 2019 general elections. This is in the wake of reports that some within the ANC want President Zuma to be removed by the NEC, which will be sitting on Wednesday. Mapazu says calls for President Zuma to step down are part of a regime change agenda targeted at the ANC. It is because of this regime change agenda that if you can get hold of President Jacob Zuma, our agenda will be implemented. So make him a problem. 
and making him a problem is to make sure that even young people will say, hey, President Jacob Zuma is a problem, why can't they resign? They have created that thing in the minds of our people, including some of our leadership. They believe that President Jacob Zuma is a problem. Whereas it's not a problem. He has not been charged. There are no charges against President Jacob Zuma. MKMVA's Treasurer General Des Van Royen has dismissed any notion that the two centers of power will be disastrous for the ANC before the elections with President Zuma at the Union Buildings and Ramaphosa at Lutuli House. So the center is one and that center is the ANC. So there's no need really for us to start a discussion that has been properly uh, elaborated in the past. And I think practice has proven that it's possible for us to have the president of the country as much as uh, uh, not necessarily being the president of the ANC, but also it's possible to have the premier in the province not necessarily being the chairperson of the ANC in that given province, because we understand that there is only one center, which is the ANC. The MKMVA has also congratulated Dr. Ngozana Lamini Zuma on what it calls an effective and constructive campaign. It says it was a huge achievement for the first time in the history of the ANC to have a female presidential candidate. I'm Amos Pao in Johannesburg. It's 8.13 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Now let's go back in time to today in 1973. Rhodesia closed its borders with Zambia to try to cut off black liberation forces. That's today in history in the year 1973. Channel Africa has good news for you. We have extended our reach. If you have an iPad or iPhone, Download the Channel Africa iOS app at itunes.apple.com. If you have a cell phone, then get our Android app at Google Store. Get the latest news from Africa. Get the Channel Africa app. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. A few months ahead of elections in Zimbabwe, President Emerson Nagagwa has reached out to the opposition. Last week, Nagagwa visited ailing Morgan Tsangarai, leader of the main opposition movement for democratic change, at his Harare home, a move welcomed by many Zimbabweans. While at Tsangarai's home, Nagagwa told reporters the former premier would start receiving his benefits, which Mugabe refused to do. Meanwhile, opposition leaders have welcomed the move by Nagagwa as Tsangarai is battling with colon cancer and might not contest the next coming polls. For more on this, our correspondent Simon Muchema. While business was eating out all over the world as people celebrated the festive season in Zimbabwe, the new government led by President Emerson Mnangagwa was in office. Unlike his predecessor Robert Mugabe, Mnangagwa did not have the luxury to go on a holiday spending the taxpayers' money. Instead, the Zimbabwean president was busy dishing out Christmas presents to the needy and visited the sick in various institutions. One of those who benefited from Nangagwa's visits was MDC leader Mogen Changrai, who is battling with colon cancer. Nangagwa revealed all the medical bills for the former premier would now be taken care of by government. He's fine, um, he's cooperating very well, 
and uh, he says he will soon again going back to uh, medical checkups in South Africa. Possibly. Going forward, do you see any prospects of a GNU going forward? What's the cause? People, some are lobbying for it. You are allowed to lobby. We are a democratic country. People can lobby for anything. But currently, there is no need. Mnangagwa, who was accompanied by his deputy and former army commander Constantino Chuenga, were received by Changrai himself, his wife, and MDC Vice President Nelson Chamisa. Chamisa expressed gratitude to the move by Mnangagwa and urged all Zimbabweans to emulate him and unite. A gesture by President Mnangagwa and the, the Vice to come and uh, pay a visit to President Swangrai to check on his uh, well-being. There is life beyond politics. So it's very good that he has come uh, and it, it is appreciated in that context. It's human, uh, it's African, and I think it's consistent with what we would want to see going forward. The new politics has to be the politics of love, politics of peace, and we hope that this is going to be the characterization of the environment in the run-up to elections. Eddie Cross, an MDC legislator who had been very vocal against Changrai's refusal to step down amid his sickness, as well as Mnangagwa's failure to deal with the 1980s atrocities, had this to say. Really a move on the part of Mnangagwa, a generous one, and I think that uh, Morgan deserves uh, some relief at this time of his life. But um, politically, it, it, it was very damaging for the opposition but certainly strengthened Munagagwa's position within the body politic. Following a military intervention that forced Mugabe to resign in November, former Vice President Munangagwa took over. Munangagwa, nicknamed the Crocodile, has to some extent brought a new lease of life in Zimbabwe as he operates differently from Mugabe, who never wanted to associate himself with the whites and the opposition. The visit at Changrai's house has renewed hope among Zimbabweans who feel that the country could be on an economic rebound owing to growing confidence. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Let's go back in time to today in 1976. American actor and filmmaker Sylvester Stallone starts filming the movie Rocky. The classic rags-to-riches story got a macho spin in the Oscar-winning Rocky, which was written by its star Sylvester Stallone and began filming on this day in 1976. That's Today in History. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. It's 8.19 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. 
Belgium's coalition government is at risk of collapse over a scandal involving the forced repatriation of 100 people to war-torn Sudan. A partner in Belgium's coalition government is threatening to withdraw its support for the current administration. Alan Kasuja of the BBC's Network Africa spoke to Omar Ismail, who is a senior advisor at the Enough Project, an international crisis group whose mission is to end genocide and crimes against humanity in Africa. From news reports, I learned that the uh, Belgian authorities allowed three Sudanese officials visiting Belgium, um, and I'm not sure if, like, two security people and more from the embassy, but, you know, we don't know about that for sure, but three Sudanese officials were given access to holding centers where asylum seekers from Sudan were, were hosted, and those officials selected a few people that were uh, sent back to Sudan, repatriated to their original country, knowing that the situation in Sudan, as we know, is very dire, and those people run out of, you know, uh, a government that persecuted its own people, and its head, the head of uh, state in Sudan, uh, President Omar al-Bashir, was indicted for war crimes and genocide. Knowing all this, the Belgian authorities still work with the Sudanese authorities to repatriate these people, of which two people were reportedly tortured in Sudan. Presumably, these people were in Belgium illegally. Is that correct? Yes, that is, that is correct. But nonetheless, whether they are legally or illegally, they are seeking asylum, they are seeking protection from the very regime that they were sent to the country that that regime controls. So that is a still a violation of human rights, and it is not an excuse that they were in Belgium illegally. I mean, the reason I ask that is because if they're there illegally, then the Belgian government does have a right to deport them. Well, uh, you know, uh, if you know, and, and the Belgian authorities know that these people are going to go back and, and they will be tortured, at least they should be given a chance to apply for political asylum in Belgium and because they asked for it. And the Belgian authorities know that. They should be given their day in court in Belgium or they had, somebody would have looked at their case and if it was rejected, then the Belgian authorities can, can do that. But it's still, as a, a Sudanese who myself left Sudan as a result of my political views, I think these uh, civilians need to be protected by all means, and they were not supposed to be sent back to a country where their persecutor is the head of the state. Why do you think the Belgians allowed this to happen? Well, I don't know why they allowed this to happen, but I think it is part of the uh, uh, country's work on uh, immigration, and, and they try to curb illegal immigration to, to their country as part of the effort that uh, different countries in Europe are now uh, doing. But I think the collaboration with the government, like the government of Sudan and many other dictatorships where these actual African migrants were fleeing their countries because of this, I think that that collaboration needs to stop. I think uh, those people are supposed to be protected. 
And that was Omar Ismail, who is a senior advisor at the Enough Project, an international crisis group whose mission is to end genocide and crimes against humanity in Africa, speaking to Alan Kasuja of the BBC's Network Africa. It's 8.24 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Now let's go back in time to today in 1993. In a historic victory, government troops captured the headquarters of UNITA rebel leader Jonas Savimbi in central Angola. Savimbi, however, escaped. That's today in history in the year 1993. Channel Africa has good news for you. We have extended our reach. If you have an iPad or iPhone, download the Channel Africa iOS app at itunes.apple.com. If you have a cell phone, then get our Android app at Google Store. Get the latest news from Africa. Get the Channel Africa app. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Of families of the deceased passengers of a deadly three-state train crash in South Africa are expected to begin the identification process in Gruenstadt today. 19 people died and over 200 were injured when a Shoshaloza mail train traveling from Port Elizabeth to Johannesburg collided with a truck before bursting into flames at a Kruenstadt crossing. Four of those who died are still unaccounted for. Pilma Kubane has more. Some came in limping, with others wrapped in bandages to the Prasa offices in Bonfontein, Johannesburg. Approximately 164 passengers were hospitalized, with only two still remaining in hospital. A walk-in and call center to assist all those affected by the accident has been set up. The center, where people will make claims of goods they have lost, will be operational 24 hours a day. 17-year-old Denise Mototo and her younger sister were lucky to survive. I was sitting on the third carriage with my sister. Before the train fell, I got up and went to the kitchen to charge my phone. A few minutes after that, I heard a loud bang, then the second bang, and then the train fell. I ran to get my sister. I pushed her off the train, but I fell. Then someone walked over me and crushed my phone, but I managed to get out. Mototo says she has been having nightmares ever since. I'm feeling so traumatized and after leaving, I don't want to lie. I have been too traumatized. I heard a woman screaming, burning inside as the train caught fire. Oh, if there was money, I would go for counseling so maybe Prasa can help. I've lost all my belongings. All my clothes, including my school uniform, burnt by fire. My sister doesn't even work. However, 19 people were not so lucky. The distraught family members arrived at the Prasa building for a closed meeting to try and get answers around the tragic rail crossing accident. They asked the media to give them space as they deal with the loss of their loved ones. The Passenger Rail Agency of South Africa says it has not been an easy process. Prasa spokesperson Sipositole. We've just come out out of a very 
what I would call emotional and difficult uh, meeting, having to face uh, families uh, whose members perished in that tragic accident. We came there as government. We came there together with the road accident fund. We came there with R RTMC. We came there with the Department of Transport and Prasa as government to say we understand. We don't have the answers. We can never question God as to the things that he took on that particular day. But we can only now deal with the situation that we are facing right now. But now the process of healing is the most difficult one. Four of the deceased are still unaccounted for. Sitola says the families that have come forward will be taken to the Quinstad mortuary to begin the identification process on Tuesday. The health authorities have now told us that they are ready to receive those families. We are just hoping that we'll have the courage and that bravery to face the families and to face them when they react to see the remains and some of the child uh, bodies of, of the people that perished in that accident. After that, we'll then be dealing with the burial process because we don't know how long the process of identifying bodies will take. Those affected have been receiving medical and emotional support. Government has also promised to assist in paying for costs for all families to have dignified burials. Pearl Makobane, SABC News, Johannesburg. There's been Rather, it's 8.29 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Good news for listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605-47-1711. So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America... Simply dial 605-47-1711. Channel Africa, giving you the African perspective. Our headlines up next with Jalani Tulo. Thank you, Lulu. Making headlines, police in Sudan have fired tear gas at students who are protesting against a recent doubling of the price in bread. South Africa's Parliament Subcommittee on Review of Rules is set to convene this week to deliberate a draft procedure for the removal of a sitting president. And finally, there's been outrage in Tanzania after five schoolgirls were arrested as part of a campaign to end student pregnancies. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo. Thank you, Shalani. There's been outrage in Tanzania after five schoolgirls were arrested as part of a campaign to end student pregnancies. The teenage pregnancy rate is particularly high in the southern in southern Tanzania, where the girls were detained. Alan Kasuja of the BBC's Network Africa spoke to his colleague from Dar es Salaam, Abu Bakr Famar. Why are the girls and the parents, why have they been arrested in the first place? What do we know so far? Actually, uh, the arrest came after these girls were made pregnant and then uh, they ended up, you know, dropping out of school. Uh, after that, uh, we had the district commissioner of that area, Tanda Himba, you know, issuing a directive that uh, uh, those uh, girls who have been made pregnant 
and their parents will be arrested. Yeah, at first we thought maybe he was only trying to threaten them, uh, but later uh, we came to realization that uh, these girls, or to confirm to confirm that the girls and their parents were arrested, but later they were they were released and uh, they, without uh, you know any charges being you know placed on them. Is there a so law in Tanzania that actually supports their arrest? Actually, there is no law that supports. I mean, uh, support the the arrest. Yeah. So Actually, it's illegal. It, is, it was an illegal arrest. It it was an illegal arrest. Yeah, and uh, we even talked to the regional commissioner yesterday, trying to ask him, is, is it legal to arrest these girl, these girls and the parents? And he said, actually, it's 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 not it's, it's not like it's illegal. He didn't want to 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 say it straight away that it's illegal, but uh, he was trying to protect his uh, uh, mini district commissioner, saying that he tried to come with a strategy that uh, will discourage you know I mean girls from getting pregnant at the same time uh, make. Parents hate uh, to see their girls drop out of schools and getting pregnant. I guess some people argue that President Magufuli, you know, on one the one hand, he's been very successful um, because a lot of his instructions are followed. But then this is the flip side because he declared that you know there was no reason why girls who got pregnant should remain in school, and a lot of people who he appoints like district as district commissioners are implementing this outside the law. Actually, I think, uh, you know, the district commissioner went overboard. That's what I will say, because the, the president did not order for the arrest of the girls. He said that the girls who will be made pregnant while they're at school, they should not proceed on with their education uh, because he cannot afford, you know, educating teenage mothers at the same time educating other, uh, I mean, children. That's what he said. But uh, it seems like uh, they have gone an extra mile, the district commissioner, trying to do something that uh, is not even there. Maybe he's trying to impress his boss in in one way or another but uh, it was not on the wrong in on the wrong way i would say and do you think what what has the reaction been first of all of the community and also of the government has there been anybody saying anything about this arrest Actually, it, there has been a, a mixed reaction. I mean, uh, other activists have come up uh, openly, you know, trying to criticize uh, the arrest, saying that it is it is not right uh, in the first place arresting the parents because they they, they they are not they are not you know in charge of making these girls yeah. uh, pregnant. But at the same time, I spoke to one lawyer who is also an activist yesterday, Onesmo Olengrumo, and uh, he told me that uh, it's illegal. It's it's illegal in the first place to arrest these girls because first of all what charges are you placing on them yeah. they are they are under 18 they are under 18 what what is supposed to be done is to place charges on those people who have made these girls pregnant uh, instead of going to the girls and their and their parents and that was abubakar famar in dar es salaam tanzania speaking to his colleague alan kasuja of the bbc's network africa From South Sudan comes a report that 96 people, including government soldiers and rebels, have been killed in what is believed to be the first and biggest battle since the new year started. James Shimangula has more. 2018 has begun on a sad note in South Sudan, Africa's newest nation. The year has begun with the killing of 96 people. They include ordinary citizens as well as soldiers of the Juba government, and fighters loyal to rebel leader Riek Machar. The deaths occurred in Yei region, one of South Sudan's newly created 32 regions, near the country's border with Uganda, when government soldiers were involved in a battle with the fighters supporting rebel leader 
Riek Machar. This marks the first major loss of lives since the new year started. It also marks the eighth time that the two sides have engaged in fighting since a ceasefire was declared in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia towards the end of last year. In fact, the declaration of the ceasefire followed one week of talks that were aimed at reviving the peace agreement that collapsed in 2015. The talks mediated by the regional trade bloc IGAD are expected to resume in the next few weeks. As has been said moments ago, the fighting that resulted in the death of 96 people occurred after both sides had violated the ceasefire eight times since December last year. Each side blames the other for violating the ceasefire as Yuba government military spokesman Brigadier General Koang Lal Ruai explains. The rebels attacked three defensive positions for the SPLA. We engaged the rebels for about 30 minutes after which they were repulsed. We had two road ambushes. In total, 15 rebel fighters were killed, 15 civilians. What remains unclear now is the side that is currently on the offensive, Brigadier General Koang Lal Ruai again. Each time the rebels are on the offensive, we would come out and inform the international community that we are being attacked. But whenever they release a statement, they would blame all of us. To us, it has not been fair. They should be courageous enough to say who is violating what and where. And in this case, they should be courageous enough to blame the rebels for the latest upsurge in fighting. We don't shy away from responsibility. We should also be condemned when we are responsible for violations. As you may have heard, the Juba government military spokesman, Brigadier General Kowang Lal Ruai claims that the rebels fired the first shot that triggered the fighting that has claimed 96 lives. But one of Riek Machar's spokesmen, Gabriel Lamu, denies the claim, telling us precisely what transpired. They sent eight land cruiser pickup full of soldiers, came from Ye. They started implementing the order from the governor by attacking our positions. They fought back. Right now, the government continues selling from Kaya. That was one of rebel spokesmen Gabriel Lamu. In his sum-up of the military situation in South Sudan, he says the shelling of the rebel positions by government troops continues. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. South Africa's government has declared listeriosis a notifiable disease, meaning that health practitioners are now obliged to inform the Department of Cases of Infection. Health Minister Aaron Mutsualedi has told the media in Pretoria that the number of cases of listeriosis has increased from around 600 to 727 nationwide. 61 people have been confirmed to have succumbed to to the disease. Maluti Obuseng reports. The outbreak of listeriosis was announced in December last year. Since then, infections have increased sharply to more than 700, while 61 people have died. Gauteng has the most affected people at just over 400, and the Western Cape is the second at almost 100. Listeriosis is a bacterium that is widely found in soil, water, vegetation, and feces of some animals. Animal products such as meat, meat products, dairy products, seafood and fresh food can be contaminated. Motswaredi says they are now doing genome sequencing as part of their ways of tracing or investigating the cause. The minister has urged health practitioners to report all cases. The recent developments 
Since the 5th of December 2017, the Department of Health amended the list of notifiable disease to include listeriosis. Prior to this outbreak, listeriosis was not a notifiable disease. For a disease to be notifiable, it has to meet two, at least two of five qualifying criteria. The first qualifying criteria is that the disease must be contagious or communicable. The second qualifying criteria is that the disease must spread rapidly in the population. Meanwhile, food businesses have been warned to ensure that they practice hygiene assessment critical control system to ensure food they sell does not carry the listeriosis bacteria. The warning was issued by Agriculture, Fishery and Forestry Acting Director General Dr. Moiketa Ramasodi. In terms of the agricultural sector, I mean the biggest thing is for food business operators to observe good manufacturing practices. And that talks to quality and it also talks to safety. And food business operators are also supposed to use a HACCP-based system or Hygienic Assessment Critical Control Point system in operating their food businesses. Therefore, it's critical that all stakeholders assist government in terms of eliminating this um, bacteria. United Nations World Health Organization, WHO, has commended South Africa on its response to the listeriosis outbreak. WHO's Dr. Rufaro Chatora. Listeriosis is a real challenge in health services because of its long incubation time and because it involves so many sectors, not only health but the food industry as well as agriculture and farming. It's great to see how in South Africa... All these different sectors have come together to fight listeriosis. The country has implemented some very important measures, such as making listeriosis a notifiable disease for the first time ever. South Africa announced that it is taking all necessary steps to ensure that listeriosis bacteria is not imported from other countries. The Department of Trade and Industries, McDonald Nechitenze. We import a lot of meat from Brazil. It was found recently that uh, Brazil, the abattoirs, the f- uh, pro- uh, food processing areas, they were not so hygienic. And then the trade officials interacted, and some of them we have to ban uh, the source of imports, the abattoirs, from those areas. There is an ongoing process of collating the statistics of all the trading partners. People have been urged to practice basic hygiene and for health practitioners to report with immediate effect should they detect elisteriosis on the patient. I am Malut Ubuseng, Pretoria. Let's go back in time to today in 1987. Security police raid English language newspapers seizing documents related to an advertisement calling for the legalizing of South Africa's now ruling party, the African National Congress. That's today in history in the year 1987. Good news for listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605-447-1711. So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial 605-47-1711. Channel Africa, giving you the African perspective.
This is Channel Africa, South Africa's international radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. Listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Nam, kwenye line ya simu, hivi sasa najiunga moja kwa moja. Farafina. Farafina. Terre de soleil. Está na companhia do serviço em língua portuguesa do canal África, a voz de renascença africana que transmite a partir dos seus estudos centrais de Auckland Park, cidade de Johannesburg, África do Sul. Sochitika, mu África! Informing the world about Africa, Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Today in 1994, on the 9th of January, Abdul Sharif, a freelance South African photographer, was shot in the back and killed while covering an African National Congress delegation visit to Gatlehong near Johannesburg. A member of the Impact Visuals Cooperative said Sharif was hit by fire from a hostel occupied by Ingata Freedom Party supporters. Apparently, the gunshots were intended for Cyril Ramaphosa and Joe Slovel, who were part of the visiting delegation. That's today in history in the year 1994. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. It's 8.45 and our economics update up next with Amanda Machaka. Thank you, Lulu. Good morning. Zimbabwe has invited bids to buy stakes in up to eight loss-making state-owned enterprises, including its national airline and power utility. This is to help plug a ballooning budget deficit. Deputy Finance Minister says they are diluting shareholding in those entities and shareholding might go to 0% in some. Angola's President João Lorenzo says there could be no economic recovery without austerity measures, ruling out salary increases for civil servants for now. Lorenzo said when the economy is a little better, it's only right that it should move the national salary, but that now it would not be very advisable. He was speaking at a media briefing to mark 100 days in office. Lorenzo took over last year from Jose Eduardo dos Santos, who stood down after 38 years. Zambia's President Edgar Lungu has lashed out at all critiques of excessive government borrowing and vowed to continue borrowing during his recent visit to Lusaka's garden compound on tour of cholera-affected areas. The statement got most experts and analysts by surprise in that it sent the wrong signals to the financial markets whose expectation is that Zambia was on the road to slowing down on its borrowing in the light of the IMF suspension of talks on the 1.3 billion U.S. dollar bailout due to excessive borrowing.
South Africa's farmers' body, Agro-Western Cape, says the drought-stricken agricultural sector in the province could take up to 10 years to recover. The province is experiencing the worst drought in a century, with dire consequences facing farmers. Dams are at 31%, with level 6 water restrictions in place, requiring the sector to reduce its consumption by 60%. Up to 400,000 permanent and seasonal jobs are on the line if taps run dry. Agro-Western Cape CEO Carl Opperman says good periods of rainfall and interventions from national government, including disaster relief, will help rehabilitate the sector. In 2015, we have raised the flags to government to say we are going into a very dry cycle and we've got to have a good look of this. But the total effect of this is going to be billions we need to go and put in. It is not only in year one or year two after good rains that this is going to get fixed. It's not. It's going to take us between five and ten years after we're back to normal. And that has got to be financed. Two big investors in Apple have asked the U.S. technology giant to develop software to limit how long children can use its smartphones. They say if Apple fails to address their concerns, its stock market value and general reputation could be damaged. The BBC's Warren Bull has more. The activist hedge fund, Jana Partners, and the California State Teachers Retirement System say the tech company should consider the impact that excessive use of smartphones has on the mental health of young people. They list studies showing unintentional consequences, including disruption to lessons, sleep deprivation and a possible influence on childhood depression. In your financial indicators, the U.S. dollar is trading at 12.38 to the South African rent, 9.68 to the Botswana Pula, and 10.04 to the Zambian Kwacha. It's at 73 pence to the British pound and 83 cents to the euro. In commodities, gold is at $1,319 and platinum at $963 per ounce, while the price of plain crude oil is at $68.17 a barrel. That's all for now. Our sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. First up in our sports update this hour, we begin with the Olympic news. The International Olympic Committee has extended the deadline for registration of North Korean athletes for the Pyongyang Winter Olympics and is planning more talks with all sides. The IOC, which is eager to have North Korean athletes at the Games, did not say until when. The registration deadline had been extended until, but most sports have completed their Olympic qualifying events. Only a figure skating pair from North Korea has secured a spot in the Games in South Korea in February, although several other athletes could qualify through special places offered by the Olympic body. On to football news, questions have been raised about Chief Muelo Nongonyana's eligibility in the race for South African Football Association's SAFA presidential seat, but the man himself says he's not faced by the scrutiny. The former SAFA vice president says 
he is pressing ahead with his campaign and is not bothered after Safa National Executive Committee member and Football Transformation Forum Secretary General Mzondile Mafovane says his expulsion by the association in October 2014 prohibits his inclusion in the nomination list. Nongonyana argued that he was expelled as Safa Vice President in 2014, but retained his place as a member of the football fraternity, laying the grounds for him to contest the elections on the 24th of March. Nongonyana says he would call a press conference later this week to announce the members of his campaign team. Denny Jordan, the incumbent president, announced last month that he would stand for re-election when his term of office comes to an end in March. And in local football more, last week's activity in the transfer market brought a lot of excitement to the millions of Kaiser Chiefs fans and indications are that the club is not done in the market yet. Leo will help us with striking, getting goals where possible. Nchangas will help us in the midfield. Uskipa uh, Matlasela, also good player, highly offensive. And if you look back, most of, most of the best players in the world, whether footballer of the year, FIFA, whatever, they're all people who are unbelievably dynamic. And we have those kind of players here. Messi, maybe Ronaldo is an exception from players who had won Ballon d'Or. But, but the rest of the players are, are very dynamic, highly offensive, and we have those kind of players. I'm not trying to say now these kids are going to be Ballon d'Or eh, nominees, whatever. I'm just making an example. We'll so play I'm, your voice. Yeah. Now I'm trying to say to you, Omar Kassela will give you that dimension. Unfortunately, he, he got injured first session with us, and we, we are expecting results on, on Monday when we go back to Jobek. And we hope, but by look of things, it looks like a long-term injury. And then Nchanga will welcome him, and then Leo will be back on the A. So it's just a pity we'll be, lo- we'll be losing Umatla Sela for possibly, possibly three months. And in cricket news, the Proteas have called up Dwayne Olifir and Lungingiti to their test squad following an injury to Dale Stain at Newlands. The Proteas beat India by 72 runs in the first test in Cape Town yesterday, and they are now turning their attention to the second test in Centurion, which gets underway on Saturday. But they will make that trip without the 34-year-old Stain, who has been ruled out of the remainder of the series with an injured left heel that he picked up in the final over before T on Saturday. Proteus coach Otis Gibson confirmed that Olifir and the unkept Lungingidi will be added to the group in Pretoria. And finally, with motor racing, Spanish driver Nani Rona rolled his Mini near the finish line on the third day of the Dakar Rally yesterday and suffered head and neck injuries. The Dakar Rally says on its website, Roma was able to finish the stage and was attended to by staff. Roma is a Dakar winner on motorcycle and car. Meanwhile, defending champion Stefan Peter Hansel took over the lead of the Dakar Rally, the third driver in three days to hit the front while Qatar's Nasar Al-Atiyah won the stage in southern Peru. That's the Sport News this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorna. Africa, Amuka na Unai.
Recapping our top stories in Africa, rise and shine at this hour, the president of South Africa's ruling African National Congress calls for unity between ANC factions. Belgian government at risk of collapse over Sudan migrant scandal. And Zimbabwe's president, Emerson Nagagwa, has reached out to the opposition. That wraps up Africa, rise and shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Ronald Peary and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Africa, or send an SMS on 277-969-57930. Are taking us to the top of the hour for the news. On the frequency, 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa is Musa featuring the late South African veteran music producer, Robi Malinga with Mtande. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 